I think we should be doing whatever we can to make this podcast um, less time sensitive. So I'm I'm preemptively banning any talk today of uh, Kofifi or Kofefe. <laughs> and and I don't like in that like were you awake last night to see that or was it mostly blown over by the time you woke up? No, here on the West Coast it was it was still around p- ten o'clock. Yeah, maybe even a little earlier. Yeah. So. <sighs> Yeah, it it was really dumb, and then it it does. All right, a, a few things. So I guess maybe we are talking about it. Do you think that only the president, or I don't even like saying that? Do you think that only Donald Trump has um has the password to that account? Like, how did it stay up for like four hours? So, so one thing I've been really confused about is, you know. Being a tech nerd, you know anything that's tech related, I'm I'm naturally drawn to, and I distinctly remember when Obama was elected. You know he was notoriously a BlackBerry junkie, and when he became president, they took that away from him, and he had some, I don't know, like NSA approved like non smartphone that he had, which he could just like send text messages and make phone calls from. And like that was there. It was my understanding at that time that there was no other option for him. Remember and when then, that used to qualify with, as a controversy? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And with with Trump, it's like he was using an Android phone, and then like now he's using an an iPhone. But then that iPhone is super locked down somehow. So I I don't I don't know what to make of any of that. I don't I don't get how he's actually actively allowed to maintain a two accounts and how nobody seems to have control over it to delete this kind of stuff. But also, isn't there like a national records thing where you can't delete that as I I just don't even know anymore. Well, so yeah, so actually, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because that was one of the first two things and we maybe we can get to the second thing later. That's one of the first two things that I immediately thought of last night is Oh my God! This is now becoming part of the permanent, like, presidential record. This is going to be this misspelled tweet, which is just just kind of mind-boggling. But um, no, to answer your question, I think when you remove a tweet from your timeline, I mean, that doesn't just delete it from everywhere. I mean, nothing on the internet's really deleted ever. There's always going to be a copy of it. So I'm sure that on the back end somewhere that tweet is still exists oh i'm sure we we all screenshotted it because we didn't know how long it would last <laughs> right okay so that we were supposed to not talk about that but and, and then the guy and then he ruins it by eventually like somebody woke up at 6 a.m eastern time and like then like told him like delete it or they grabbed his phone and then there was some stupid jokey tweet that i'm sure he didn't actually write uh saying oh you you can all discuss what this means and, and he, he he managed to to ruin the only fun anybody's had in, in four months and then the spicer thing where apparently are, are video recorded press briefings not a thing anymore did they shut that down where there's just this weird audio clip of him talking to reporters where he says only a select number of people know what this means like i don't even know anymore well, so the, so the the last thing I'll say, which was the the second thing that I immediately thought of last night, was I struggle with things like this because we all need to have fun, I guess, every once in a while. 
particularly with just how terrible some things are right now. But at the same time, stuff like this is such a distraction from the dozen other things that people should be legitimately focused on. So I I struggle with giving things like this as much attention as we all end up doing. I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a tough balance. Yes. And also because like in the back of your mind, you know that it probably not this one, but a lot of these like Twitter gaffes or like inflammatory comments that a lot like so much of the left leaning internet circles or whatever, like latch onto, like, you know, a lot of them are intentional to distract against like whatever else is happening. So it's a tough balance, but this one, I don't know. It felt like it was organically something that people could have fun with, but yeah, it, it's ruined. It's okay. <laughs> so again, like I said, we're not going to talk about this. So no, uh, no, mm-hmm. we're going to go cut all, cut all that out. Yeah. So my follow-up question was going to be instead, um, this was from something, from something earlier in the week. Uh, how much do you disagree, agree or disagree with the following statement describing the New York times? Uh, is elitist. Oh, strong, strongly agree. Of course. Do you really think that? No. Okay. But here's the thing. Like when that, so this was from the listener survey that was that uh, Mr. Barbaro of the daily told listeners to take. And that was at the end of the quiz after a whole bunch of questions about the damn BMW five series, which I'm, I'm amazed that that's been the sole sponsor for four months. But like, there was this really like, oddly self-aware survey about like things that people uh like the general public thinks about the new york times and like am i wrong in thinking that our news media and and our political leaders for that matter should be elitist and should be better than the electorate because we're not doing so well ourselves like that doesn't see that doesn't seem like a negative thing Uh, yeah i mean i guess i wouldn't use the word elitist i would use the word informed yes the media should be more formed than the average individual in the electorate absolutely i mean it's 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 the media's job to help inform the electorate and it's you know it's in, in my opinion it's one of the most dangerous things that's happened and it's it's been happening over you know a fair number of years now but has undoubtedly accelerated in the last 6 to 12 months where you know the the news media is being demonized in such a way where even verifiable facts that are shared now are are shot down as fake news and that that's that's really really dangerous and in particular like on that note i'm 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 just so incredibly shocked and dismayed at how i mean i <sighs> Like, uh, my opinion is not high of, of our current president at all, but just the fact that he has somehow, like, latched on to that concept of fake news to literally use it to describe anything that is not positive about him or that he doesn't like, and that there's so many people who, who agree with that, with, with just no actual analysis or critical thought about what it is, just because for, like, some certain segment of the population, that feels right, rather than being actually right. Yeah, that that has been a frustrating thing that Trump has done where he's he's taken that term fake news which actually is is truly dangerous and the, you know we we can laugh about it every once in a while but it's actually not funny at all and he's completely taken the meaning of that phrase and and twisted it and that's you know that that only 
that only makes the problem worse. Exactly right. And yeah, I don't know. Like I just, I, I, I feel that this country is in some, like we have a national deficit of, of elitism. And I think if anything, everything needs to be more elitist because like whatever the hell we're doing right now, this isn't working. Well, I, you know, again, I would, I would go back to phrasing it more. We are in a lot of ways we're demonizing intelligence and that's, that's just, it's just so, it's really scary. I, I think if, if I had to, if I had to pick things that I find most scary or, or most discouraging that have happened, you know, in the last year or two, I, I would put that up, up near the top of the list. Well, well, sure. But I, but I think anti-intellectual, eh, anti-intellectualism is, is the exact antithesis of elitism. And that's what we need to return to. Like, we're not all Harvard scholars, and but I, th- I feel that at least the majority of us should aspire to f- being more intelligent or at least seeking out facts rather than this, whatever feels right. I don't... Mm. Yeah, but it's gone beyond that to the point where some are now outright rejecting any sort of signs of intelligence, even again, to use the phrase verifiable facts, or even just shooting those down now, like you can, you can scoff at think pieces and opinion pieces. And, you know, we can, we can argue over whether dismissing a lot of that stuff out of hand is, is the right thing to do. But when we're just outright dismissing facts, that's, that's what I think is super scary. And I don't really know what you do to combat that. Because the other side's checked out and isn't listening. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't really know what you do either. But I, I have faith in the long run that that this will that this will work itself out. Well, did you see any of the Hillary Clinton code conference thing? I just the uh, I haven't seen any of the video, but I've I've seen some of the some of the highlights and coverage around it today. Yeah, so I mean, I I just finished watching the entire thing, and it was. You had highlighted uh, offline or online, but not publicly on this program, like some of the weird things it ventured off into. Like, I mean, she was extremely open and focused on uh, a Russian influence on the election and all that kind of stuff. But like, it it was very like her conclusion was very decidedly like it wasn't necessarily that the ideas are wrong, but that it was campaigned wrong and that there was like a complete lack of issues focus in the media and like on debates and all that kind of stuff but there wasn't really a concrete strategy to change that and that there was an idea that just for democrats to continue to win to try to flip the house and then try to flip the senate and and succeed in 2018 and 2020 is not necessarily that make the ideas more of the issue but that more of it just needs to be campaigning differently and and going toe-to-toe with the way Republicans have changed the game. And I just, that just seems like such a loss and in such a, a defeatist strategy, but maybe that defeatism is why we, why the left keeps failing. Well, I, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, I see, I see, I don't know if I, I agree with that because I mean, the Democrat has won the popular vote in I mean, what two of the last three times that they've lost the presidency? So I'm not, I'm not really sure that the 
that the the left's entire progressive agenda is failing. I, I would I would argue that it's just it's it's not being communicated enough. No, I mean, that, that's that's not what I'm saying, or that, that's not what she's saying. I'm sorry, I might have mischaracterized it. No, it's it's that the ideas are fine, but the focus on issues like we're we're losing a game of somebody telling a more interesting story, whether or not that story is right, and that for the Democrats to succeed going forward, there has to be a different way to spin the narrative where we're where we're better at the messaging, whether or not that messaging actually includes facts or substance. Hmm. I I don't know. I I don't think I agree with that. Well, because like the the Republicans this go around did not win based on issues or facts at all. I don't know, man. But yeah, it was a very interesting interview. It was it was, it was a bit long. It was an hour and thirty minutes or so. But it, it's very worth uh, watching or at least listening to in the in the background. It was yeah. It was yeah. There was that little thing that well, and, and a couple of things. There was uh, something that you brought up, which was that like it's very weird that she was harping on like a story that was already like debunked that like this whole like like russian twitter bots thing and but overall the substance was there which again the the people that need to listen to it probably aren't the ones that are going to listen to it but it, it was very interesting yeah it's i have it um have it on my list to to watch yeah i'm very interested to see what the 538 uh podcast will do with it because i think there was a lot of it uh, that did cite kind of maybe a complacency that was um, spun by not necessarily 538, but like Walt Mossberg during the discussion did throw them out there, even though they weren't the biggest offender. And they were actually some of the, they were the website that uh, illustrated the true chances of Trump more boldly than most other websites that were doing that type of thing. But that that kind of instilled this false sense of security in in the in the left well that's i mean <laughs> i mean 538 was just about as pessimistic as you as you anyone was being about clinton's chances i mean remember remember all, all those models that had trump at like 95 97 i think one was like 99 percent, and you know 538 was consistently i think in you know in the 50s and 60s yeah, like I think even like a couple of months ago, just as a joke, I sent you a thing where like that stupid fucking and, and the upshot from like the New York Times, like on election day, like showed like Hillary Clinton like ninety four percent chance of winning or, or some some bullshit like that. And you know what I what I would maybe caveat what I just said with is you know I I five thirty eight I don't and really I don't think anybody at least not in a real public way was talking about why the the chances were so close specifically like i I don't recall 538 specifically calling out you know michigan pennsylvania wisconsin maybe they maybe they did and i'm just not remembering but i I don't i don't know if they were that specific in why they were pessimistic but but in general i think they did the best job of saying hey this is a really close election and you know it's it's not a it's not a 95 percent give me for anybody yeah i mean and eventually and like and again hindsight's 2020 like because like i i certainly was not if people listen to back episodes of the show i was not spinning doom and gloom about the potential of of what whatever the fuck this is but i don't know man like it's just like nothing ever stuck to the guy and eventually i don't know 
Anyway, let's uh, actually uh, one last politics thing. Well, this actually crosses into the T word stuff that we normally talk about. So we'll gradually get out of this morass. Um, have you seen all the stuff about Elon Musk uh, going to leave Trump's Economic Redevelopment Council or whatever that is, and, and Tim Cook making an appeal for the Paris Climate Accord stuff? I did, yeah. But again, this goes back to my feeling that I was talking about before, where it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm a little bit despondent this week, and I don't really know what to do with it. So I'm going to stop visiting that on the listeners, and I and I apologize for this first 15 minutes. So let's talk about some uh, fun stuff. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about uh, true true competition of the best America has. The NBA Finals coming up tomorrow. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm only talking about this because everybody knows I, or listen, devout listeners will know that I don't give two shits about basketball. But um, it's something that we can all rally around, and it will be a distraction for the next uh, two weeks. And it's supposed to be a good, uh, good series. Um, wh- who's your pick? I think I, I've got I've got to go with the Warriors. I I think it'll be a really competitive series. I mean, the best way that I've heard it described so far was on Bill Simmons's podcast today. He said that every game is going to feel like a game seven, and I think that's that's true. I think. There's just such a rivalry built up between these two teams, and one of the consequences of playing each other so much is that they also know each other really well. They know each other's tendencies. Last year's series went to seven games. I mean, the year before that went to six. So I, I think it's going to be a really, really competitive series, and yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful it's going to be one of the most exciting finals that that we've seen. You and ABC together. Um, <laughs> they're they're uh after a dismal uh postseason this year which we've chronicled before on this show they they are certainly hoping that that's the case yeah um last year am i remembering correctly that it was like it went to three and one with the Cavs being up two games over the the warriors or was it the opposite it was the opposite. So last year, the Warriors won the first two games, and then the Cavs won game three, and then the Warriors won game four, which meant that they could come home for game five and close out the series, which is what everybody expected them to do. Of course, they didn't. Cavs went back home game six, blew out the Warriors, and then won on the road in game seven. Okay. And... The makeup of the Warriors has changed a little bit since last year. What changes are there or have there been in the with the Cavs? The Cavs have remained mostly the same. They they have some bench players now who they've who they've signed. Um one of the key guys has been Darren Williams, who um kind of used to be one of the elite point guards in the league and he he had some some ankle trouble when he was in Brooklyn he kind of bounced around a bit he played for Dallas for a while and then was waived and eventually signed by Cleveland this year so he's been i think a pretty a pretty nice pickup um but i think more than new or different players it's it's been more about the existing core so Irving LeBron and Love this is the best they've played together I mean, they Irving and and Love were both hurt and and didn't play in the finals two years ago. Irving got hurt in Game One, and Love had gotten hurt in a previous round, so they weren't even all together that series. 
but then even last year when they won they they still really weren't meshing as well as they could with each other they were still kind of bickering throughout the season and things just weren't weren't going as well as i think anybody wanted it wanted it to but then it really seems like this year and particularly in the playoffs they've they've really come together in a way that that they never have and I think the other big thing too was kind of on that same thought is they're also really, really confident. I mean, they not only beat the Warriors last year, but they beat them on their home floor in game seven, which I mean, that never happens. Winning a game seven on the road is really, really hard to do, let alone in the NBA finals against the team that had just set the best regular season record in NBA history. So, you know, the Warriors are not going to, not going to scare the Cavaliers this year. Uh, well okay a couple things well like sure like but does the record really matter that much for like last year's performance because again was it hasn't for the past couple of seasons hasn't the nba been kind of lopsided where like a lot of the most successful and and, and best performing players are kind of concentrated on a few teams so is that advantage of having like the best record and, and one of the best seasons ever like does that really make that much of a difference when you're going up against like another elite team well, I see that's that's one of the things I'm kind of glad you actually brought this up. It's one of the things that I think gets a little misconstrued with the Warriors where so you have to put Kevin Durant aside for a minute and that's that that is a big aside, but I mean if we're talking about last season he wasn't on the team. You know, everybody every star on the Warriors was someone who they drafted. They drafted Curry, they drafted Thompson, they drafted Green. These are guys who they drafted and developed. They didn't steal these guys from different teams. So, you know, the, really the, the biggest acquisition that the Warriors made was Iguodala from Denver. And, you know, he he was a sixth man last year. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't really think that the Warriors have, you know, bought a team. They've developed a team. Well, sure, but... Like, I don't know, I, I guess I just, I don't see where, I don't know, where the, the Cavs should necessarily be afraid of any, t of any particular team. It's more of just, yeah, I don't know. Like, do, do the, do the Cavaliers have like any particular relationship or history with Durant since he's the new, the new wild card or, or the new component of the team that maybe they're not as familiar with? Uh, I mean, perhaps, but I mean, LeBron's played Durant a ton through his career, and I think the rec he's LeBron's something like eighteen and five or something against Durant, and most of those games have been regular season games. Although they did play each other in the finals in two thousand twelve, and you know the the Heat won four games to one in that series. So there, I think there's. Maybe not the Cavs versus Durant, but there's definitely familiarity between LeBron and Durant. Okay. And is LeBron just like the absolute, like, is, like, I know he's the star player, but is he the, like, the singular character and everybody else is just around him? Like, do you really think a team can be defined by him? Oh, most definitely. And the Warriors, it's not that case. It's not all Curry all the time. It's, there are probably three key players that kind of rotate in performance right right and that's i think that's been a really key difference with the team this year is 
unlike last year where they really leaned on Steph a lot. And, you know, he got hurt in the first round of the playoffs, was never quite the same. And, and I think that really set them back. You know, you want everybody to stay healthy this time around. But even if Steph were to tweak an ankle or something were to happen to Thompson, or, you know, it, it's the, the, this team has so many different guys that, that somebody can step up. And that's 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 a big difference from the team last year. Okay, so that they're a much more resilient team. Yeah, yeah. And LeBron is just you know I mean he's just a cyborg. <laughs> I mean he's just he's so good in in the playoffs where they do basically lean on him. And you know Kyrie, I mean he's the one who hit the big shot to win it in Game Seven last year. He um, had a great game in the last series when LeBron picked up four fouls in the first half. So he's He's done a lot too, but I mean, really at the end of the day, especially at this point in his career and this late in the playoffs, I mean, LeBron just doesn't have off games anymore. And he just, I mean, he's just a force onto himself. Okay. All right. Um, And then to round out this, uh, do you think any touchdowns are going to be happening (laughs) or, or is that, is that not, because this is a new term that, um, I think Jody Avergan introduced me to because he linked to something. Um, do you do you think that as a concept is something that happens against the Warriors, or do they just do they never get open enough for that to even happen? Well, the, it's not so much that they won't get open to have that happen. The risk is that you know one of the one of the ways that Cleveland's been successful the last couple of years in the finals is they've slowed the game down because what the Warriors want to do against everybody is they just want to push the ball up and down. They want to score a lot of points. They want to get you in transition. So what the Cavs want to do is they want to break all that down, slow the game way down, make it a half court game. And when you, when you try to do these big, long, fast break passes, which, you know, really Kevin loves the one who's known for that. And he's brought it, he's brought that skill with him to to Cleveland. And that's, that's what Jody's referring to, you know, doing that risks turning the ball over and, and risks, you know, getting the Warriors out on the break, which is, which is again, not, not what they want to do. Okay. And then lastly, to so I, so I'm informed for the next seven games. Um, I assume I assume it's going to go when you have two really good teams. It's probably going to go all seven games, or at least to six. Uh, can you can you explain intentional fouling to me one more time, or or explain what the concept of drawing a foul is? Because this is the part where basketball starts making no sense to me, where the game stops because it seems like uh, somebody is intentionally just trying to stop the the play of game or whatever. Well, so there's there's a handful of guys in the league, you know, DeAndre Jordan's become kind of the marquee guy today and you know, you can trace this back to like Shaq, another another really good example that you know, kind of the term hack a Shaq, which is used to describe the strategy came from him obviously. And you know, the idea here is you you foul these guys who shoot really poorly at the free throw line. And that does two things. One is, you know, odds are that they're only going to make one or none. So you're getting one point per possession instead of two or three potentially. And then the other thing it does, it just takes the team out of their rhythm. You know, if, if the game is stopping every time down the floor and all you're doing is shooting free throws instead of getting into your offense, getting some passes, some rebounds, getting guys moving. It just, it, it kind of takes them, takes them out of their offense. And so you're, you know, 
in addition to hoping that they don't score as many points on each possession, you're also, um, you know, taking them out of uh, their rhythm. So that seems antithetical to how the game should be played. Like, so why wouldn't the NBA, like, rewrite the rules to prevent that? Well, that's an argument that a lot of people have made, and I, I would kind of put myself in favor of that too. But if you do that, you're essentially letting guys who are bad at free throws off the hook. And that doesn't necessarily feel like the right answer either. Okay. So again, specifically like a one word, a one sentence answer, what does it mean when a team has fouls to give? So a team gets five fouls per quarter where it's going to be a long sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, one paragraph answer. Yeah, right. Where if the foul, if, the, if, the, if a foul doesn't occur during during a shot because if, if a foul occurs during a shot it's it's always t- two or three free throws oh, well un- unless the player makes the shot then it's just one but assuming he doesn't make the shot it's two or three but if the foul is before the shot then it's not does not result in free throws just results in the ball going to the sideline and, and being thrown in where if the team has less than has committed less than five fouls in that quarter so you'll hear the phrase a team has a foul to give like in the last couple of minutes of a quarter if they've only committed you know three fouls that quarter then they have two fouls to give before they're in the penalty where when you're above five fouls for the quarter when you foul the other team even if they're not in the act of shooting it becomes two free throws Okay, I think I mostly got that, but I'm just going to pretend I did. Okay. Cool. Smile and nod. Uh-huh. Oh, that doesn't work over the internet. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> all right. So I think the reason why, and again, I, I really, I, I hope, I'm not going to put more work on you, but maybe we should do chapters one day so people can skip over all this stuff. Yeah, I've, I've, I've thought about that. I think. No, you, you shouldn't. Well, Marco was, if Marco comes out with that tool that makes it easy to do, I, I'd be be happy to do it. No, because, no. Yeah, should we like a choose your own adventure book? Yeah, because um, the reason why we're talking so much about this, it's 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 kind of a slow work for the T word stuff. Like we're just getting off a long holiday weekend. It's kind of the pre WWDC doldrums for like Apple stuff. So it's um, not there's not not a ton happening. So where do where do we go from here? Um, Let's, I, I have a question for you, like, and, and this will not get specific in any way. I want to know, what do you think of the new Pandora app? Because you've been using Pandora Premium for a month and a half or so, right? Since it came out? Uh, yeah, at least. I, I guess, man, I guess I got it all the way back in, I got it back in March, didn't I? So it's been, yeah, a couple of months. Yeah, because I, I think it took like two weeks for me to get my apology letter from Tim. <laughs> <laughs> or or whatever it said uh that as a as a one user i'm i'm invited to use this premium service and it was it was directly from him i thought that's pretty cool like what cuz you're you otherwise you're an apple music person you're not a spotify person right yeah i've never never been a spotify person just never just never really liked the the mobile app all right we'll we'll get we'll get to the con- uh, converse of that um so what has Pandora become like your de facto streaming service or like what what has been your opinion so far of, of the redesign and the expansion of service? So I, I feel like, I feel like this isn't an edge case, but the numbers sort of 
prove otherwise, where I do an overwhelming majority of my music listening when I'm at work. Because for me, really, when I'm outside of work, if I'm running, doing chores, doing anything where I could be listening to something, it's almost always going to be podcasts. But then the big exception to that is when I'm at work, where, again, as we've covered on the show at least a couple of times, I'm, I'm just not good at multitasking, where I just can't listen to a podcast at work at the same time. Then why are you able to run and listen to a podcast? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, let's come back to that. Um, so the consequence of that is work is where I do almost all of my music listening. And, you know, the the, the big bummer for me with Pandora Premium so far is the, the premium stuff. So the, the on-demand features is still only available on your phone. And, you know, so there there have been times where... I've used my phone at my desk to to listen to music, and that's fine. But I would would rather be doing it from from my desktop. So that's that's been the biggest disappointment for me so far. Okay, I mean, so yeah, that is still a gigantic omission. Like that, it's it, that it's strictly phone only, not even tablet or any of that kind of stuff, and, and that there's no web component yet. But specifically with the application, do you find it? easy to use or do you think any of like the core functionality has been diminished with how it's how it's kind of rolled out no i mean i mean i I guess the other thing i would caveat me with is i don't i don't listen to a ton of different types of music i mean i really do kind of stick to the same handful of stations i what sorry i'm just thinking i, I just imagine because like the little top thing shows like just like a, a flip card view of like five stations i just assume it's sugar ray like a lincoln park and then um i don't even know what else you 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 know me so well um so i don't i, I guess don't. i don't <laughs> just i just don't really i don't really do a lot of music discovery so i, I guess i can't really speak to whether the the new app makes it harder or easier to find new music because that's just not what i do a, a ton of anyway okay yeah i mean uh, would you say that if you well so then i guess what, what do you use apple music for i i i don't hmm yeah i i had a subscription to apple music prior to pandora premium to kind of fill the Kind of not not only on demand but then offline needs. Um, but now that Pandora supports all that, and I was you know, but before I was paying for Pandora, um, what was it? Pandora Plus. Yeah, Pandora Plus replaced Pandora One. Right. Um, plus Apple Music, but mm-hmm. if I can just get all that, you know, for one price in one app, then I'm going to do that. So Pandora Premiums replaced Apple Music for the for the on demand and offline use cases. Got it. Okay, so I mean, I, I bring this up just because having used like the app for a month and a half or however long I've had it, like it seems like objectively way worse. Like just create like because Pandora, it's it's I, I know is always like a music, or, sorry, like a radio first application for the past decade or so 
but it seems like it's gotten worse at that. And just like trying to create a new station is, is really weird and hard just because it tries to show you albums and that kind of stuff. And then you have to navigate to the artist first before you can make a station. If there's not already a popular station with that artist, like that starts from that artist. Like I, I just, I don't know. I've had a ton of issues with it. And I guess my, my thing is, and again, we'll, we'll speak broadly about this, but where, where do you think this fits in or like competitively shakes out? Because I think there's kind of a thing where in like in Netflix has really proven this out where there's only so many players that can kind of coexist in, in a space and kind of, it seems like Apple music and Spotify are gonna be those two much in the same way that uh web os and and windows phone no matter how good or novel their approach was there's just kind of a a certain thing to be said about like traction and momentum and established like audiences where that just kind of that's the ball game oh de- i mean definitely um i think when we when pandora premium first rolled out a couple of months ago during that episode we we talked a lot about the idea that there's no question Pandora's late to the game, way late to the game, in fact, with with a lot of this stuff. And whereas their kind of first mover advantage with radio, which, which really was a huge advantage, it's gone the opposite direction with on-demand, where they're now way behind the curve. And the bet I think they're making is, well, yes, that's maybe true, but the thing you have to balance that argument with is the fact that there's potentially a large untapped market out there or a growing market where a lot of people haven't yet even made a decision to go with a paid on-demand service. And, you know, I, I don't know whether that's true or not. I'm just, that's just what the argument is. Well, I mean, I think that's I that, that's probably true because, like, I mean, the streaming music still is probably in its infancy. Or I mean, it's maturing, but it's it's probably it's not that much of an established market yet. But like, do you think the shallow or incomplete offering that Pandora Premium currently has, like, do you think that's putting their best foot forward, or do you think that whatever that untapped potential is, do you think that conversion is really going to happen with the way it is right now? I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, and I I like it. I I was a fan of RDO, and the app is a lot like that. And so for me, I I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I actually think the the bigger issue is something we haven't gotten into yet, which is the business side of things, where n- no company has proven that streaming music can stand as a standalone business. I mean, Pandora's struggles are well chronicled. I think if the long rumored Spotify IPO happens, boy, oh boy, when people get their hands on those financials, I think they're going to be in for a pretty big surprise. This stuff is, this stuff is, this stuff is hard and this stuff is wildly unprofitable with just the way that label deals are worked out and just kind of the mess that is the whole industry, the whole music industry. So then to me that that's the that's the bigger issue in the long run. This kind of question of whether a streaming music service can live on its own, a la like Pandora or Spotify, or whether it's going to end up just being relegated to a loss leader like Apple Music or like Google Music or like Amazon Music. 
where you're basically streaming music to sell other services or hardware. I th- I think that's a really good point, but also I I, I have no inside knowledge of this, but I, I just wouldn't feel that pessimistic about Spotify. Just because like, I don't know, like I just feel like so many people are willing customers of them. Like I don't know what their current like paid subscriber counts are, but I mean, they've been trying to do a lot to structure the like royalties and that kind of stuff and, and licensing costs to, to make it more amenable to long-term viability of the, of the platform where I, I don't know. But yeah, you are you you do make a pretty compelling point where like Apple with their like 250 billion in, in offshore in the in the bank um like they they can stomach and and have this be a, a loss later and just be like one cuz like a, a 10 10 dollars a month for like Apple themselves like even though they keep proclaiming to be a services business like that's that's peanuts for them. And whether or not this actually is a cash flow positive subsegment of of their services business like that's it's not necessarily that important to them. Whereas if it's your only business, making sure the numbers work long-term like are your chief concern. So no, so that, that's actually extremely interesting. Yeah, and, and, no, and nobody's, nobody's proven that. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be consistent here and if, you know, like with Uber, although maybe we'll get into this later, I've consistently said, hey, you know, yes, Things seem like they, you know, the the way that they run their business is it can't be profitable. But they're not a public company. The finances, financials aren't out there, so we kind of have to wait and hold our judgment. So I'll I'll say the same thing with Spotify. But all indications point to, and I I, I hope that they IPO so that we can actually see see all this stuff. But all indications point to that, you know, if if people if people think. Pandora's losses are big. I mean, wait until you see Spotify, which has been under this direct deal relationship with the industry for a lot longer than a company like Pandora has been. And those deals, you know, are widely known to be pretty expensive. So, and, you know, Spotify has got a lot of other things working against it too. Like, yes, they might have high subscriber numbers, but how many of those subscribers are on deeply discounted rates how many of those are family plans you know each of those subscribers is certainly not paying the full 9.99 a month so what's what's the breakout of that i mean there, there's just a lot of a lot of kind of red flags i think around them that again no nobody's done it nobody's come out and made us a, a profitable standalone business around this stuff and you know, I'm a, as you know carlos i'm i'm a very numbers and results oriented person so you know at at some point, somebody's got to put up or shut up with this stuff and actually make a profitable business out of it. And until they do, I'm going to be skeptical. I don't think anybody needs to. I think there just has to be the 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 idea out there that there's money to be made. Yeah, I I, I just I I strongly dispute the point that money actually has to be made. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, let's. So so on that note, let's talk about ride sharing. <laughs> money has to be made ryan speaking of speaking of uh wildly unprofitable businesses well again before before we turn I, like i don't know i i don't share your pep like i have again i have no inside knowledge i'm not looking at secret financial statements but like i don't i, I don't i don't see that pessimist about spotify i don't i don't see where you feel that there are so many people on uh, not paying the ten dollars a month like where 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 where, do you, where does that come from well, I it, it should, and I'm just I'm saying it's a question that's out there. I'm saying that 
it's just not really something that Spotify's talked a lot about. But well, but they don't need to. Not yet, no. But I mean, they've been very aggressive with their marketing around discounted monthly rates, extended free trials, family plans. Well, yeah, so so has so is Apple Music, so is Pandora. Pandora is offering. Oh, of course, the- of course. They all I mean they, they, we're just we're talking about Spotify here, but yeah, the, they're they're all guilty of it. But but, but Spotify has been around for for a decade as or like or like probably like at least six years as well. And there's probably a lot of people who those long trial periods or reduced like ninety nine cents for the first six months things have have burned off. Like I, re- I don't know. Like I, I think a lot of that growth has already happened, and that it is probably a maturing industry. There's still like a lot of untapped potential, but I, I think that there's still. I don't. Know, I'm I'm hmm, I'm not that pessimistic about it. I know we'll see. Well, we we shall see. Yes. They're and they're not based in the U.S., right? They're based in Switzerland or Sweden. Sweden, yes. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I got acquired by IKEA. If the numbers don't work, <laughs> um, oh, they'll, they'll a, lot, a, lot, a loss a loss leader for do it yourself, moderate quality furniture. Uh, they'll they'll reincorporate in Jock Mock. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that'd be how that that'd be really good rebranding. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't. I, I, I would be into that. I'd probably start using them if they rename themselves Jockmuck. Uh, the the leading economic indicator: how much a table and four chairs costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The hell are we talking about? Oh, Uber. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like an hour into this thing, this whole thing's up. Okay. So there, there were three. I count three-ish big stories this week about Uber. So one's a personal matter that doesn't really warrant discussion. So the other one is, or the other couple, uh, Anthony Lewandowski. I don't know if you pronounce it like the Trump guy, but I don't know. Like I, I keep having issues separating. God, I, I do too. And they're spelled, I, yeah. di- they're spelled differently, but it's just like every time I hear or I read that name, I'm like, oh, that guy that's always on CNN. Or, uh, uh. Uh, so apparently he, he got... Um, Fired from Uber this week due to not complying with the order or the subpoena to turn over all the documents that he allegedly stole from uh, Google X or Waymo on his way out to create his own company, which may or may not have been only created for the purpose of being acquired by Uber for massive sums of money. Uh, he, he got terminated for impeding uh, the investigation, which has a material impact on uber's business yeah so he he his job is gone um financial statements that uber seems to be reporting as though they're a public company even though they're not uh they lost 708 million dollars last quarter and their head of finance is leaving um and then apparently unearthed uh previously confidential reports say that during 2015 Uber was subsidizing Uber Pool to the amount of $1 million a week in San Francisco. So, so where do you want to go first? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I think uh, you see so you, you kind of rattled off three stories. The, the one about Kalanick's parents is just tragic, tragically sad. And I mean, you, you, we've made our feelings known about how he runs his business, but I mean, you, you don't wish something like that on, on your, your worst enemy. So that, that's just really sad, but yeah, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think we have a lot to to add there other than, you know, we, we, we wish him the best in, in that part of his life. Um, 
you know, I think I think the Lewandowski news is is potentially big. Just just in a sense, not maybe necessarily for this lawsuit in particular, but I, I just there's no doubt that self-driving cars like it, it's a race right now because it it really is going to completely change the way that that people get around and you know at scale i think we're still a fair number of years away from this happening but it but it's going to happen there's just no no question and whoever gets there first is going to have a huge huge advantage and you know this this could this case could potentially be a really big setback for uber and you know lots of other things have to happen of course and we're making lots of assumptions over a long time horizon but if uber actually does eventually fall way behind companies like google around self-driving cars you know, they could they could find themselves in the long run in, in big trouble yeah, I mean that that's 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 the majority of it. Um like we we've been talking about for for years that like the whole for for this whole ride sharing thing to work, it's that the that that Uber and and these ride sharing companies need to not be ride sharing companies and need to be transportation providers and they need to work the um the human factor out of the economic equation for their business to be profitable or to to be a sustainable business. Um so yeah, this is this is really tricky because I think like objectively from afar, it it seems fairly clear that to some degree or another there was some wrongdoing and some inappropriate uh, transfer of proprietary information between these companies. And yeah, that because I, I I don't actually like I'm I'm not a legal scholar at all. Like, but I don't know really. Like, do you know what are the potential ramifications of this? Like, how, what what legally could happen to Uber as, other than just like lost time having to deal with this and them now no longer having a competent head of like the self driving car division? Like, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but like, what what could happen? Uh, well, I mean, I would I would assume a fine, probably. Um... But I, I think I think you already answered the question. I, mean, I think a lot of it is is lost time. Yeah, because that's like I mean that that is the thing. Like I assume once like if Google like beats them to market by like let's say even like a year, I assume a lot of the entrenched like progress that Uber has made in terms of like name recognition and like paying customers, like the the friction between switching it, it, ride sharing or like transportation providers is probably extremely low where a lot of the venture capital that's been spent trying to get up to critical mass of of ridership and that kind of stuff is, is it can be lost extremely easily. And then if they're not able to fix that cost equation by eliminating human drivers, like that that could be really, really damaging to them. And then that's why this is so important. But that also puts into perspective like why Uber has been charging so hard against like regulatory forces and in doing things that may jeopardize their business, which don't necessarily get them towards that end game any faster. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's really, it, it's an interesting story. And I think it's part of a, just a fascinating trend that we're probably still kind of in the early days of, but 
where I think we're going to see a lot of progress happen quickly. Yeah. I, I will refer people back to whatever episode it was where I think I was much more bullish on self-driving cars than you were, but I appreciate that you are coming around to that side. I'm, you know, I know, I'm, I know you're not, you're not shortening your timeline that much, but it really sounds like you're a bit more on board with it being sooner rather than later. I, as I gather more information, I am always willing to admit that I may have been previously wrong. No, no shame in that. I appreciate that that clearly makes you better than our president. <laughs> okay, so last quarter, Uber lost $708 million. Oh. Um, and I, and I like, hasn't most of the losses related to their struggling to failing china operations like isn't that mostly gone so isn't this all almost like like world excluding china for this i given that this is the most current quarter i would think so yeah that's a lot of money it's just it's so much money i mean it's it's staggering like and, and now you, you deserve a lot of credit here you've been saying consistently for a long long time that like hey there's there's no way this can be profitable. And I, I've been the one to say like, well, you know, we don't really have a lot of insight into their financials. We got to kind of wait and see. And I mean, now that we finally have access to, to some of these, I mean, man, <laughs> it's, and we, we touched on this when the previous financial disclosures came out, I think mostly related to last year was that a month or two ago. It's, it's, it's just, like I always assume that if they were losing money, it would be more so just because of lack of revenue, which you could then kind of tie directly to just the crazy low fares that they offer. And I guess, you know, maybe it's just all in terms of scale, but I just can't get my head around how they can be generating so much top line revenue and still be incurring, you know, almost billion dollar losses a quarter. It's easy with predatory pricing. Again, like if, if you, it's easy to sell a lot of stuff if you sell it at less than it's worth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, you're you're, you're right. No, you're 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 one hundred percent right. I maybe I'm I'm overthinking that point, but it just <laughs> maybe it's just I I'm I'm just dazed and confused as to how a company can lose so much money. And I mean, and also because Uber is is one of the most heavily invested in private companies in the world if not the most heavily invested private company in the world at this point like the most recent estimation like it like a private valuation is like 70 billion dollars right well I, I that but then i also just mean that there are lots and lots of different um venture capital firms and individuals who have invested in the company and i mean just at, at some point doesn't somebody raise their hand and say hey like so when are we gonna start making money like I don't know again, like I I assume it's just like that, and and again this will like get to probably the next story we're going to talk about, which is that like they're just assuming that like just the mind share and market share that they're gaining is is based off the premise that once they flip that switch on eliminating the human factor that that then they're just printing money. I assume that's so much of it that they want to make sure that they're not. Um, outclassed and, and, and dominated in a particular market by Lyft or some of the other competitors where Uber is the default choice. And that once they do correct the human part of things, that it, that it just everything's just it's just like 
it's it's like breaking bad all over the place so you're you're probably right but that's not a bet i would want to make bet. yeah i mean you know we just talked about i'm maybe a little more optimistic than i was a year or so ago about the future of self-driving and then the timeline in which that can happen but I that I still don't that's not gonna happen tomorrow. That's not gonna happen next year. I don't think it's it's not gonna happen at scale in the next five years. I mean, so are they are they gonna incur seven hundred million dollar losses a quarter for like the next five to ten years if we're being generous? I mean that even if at some point you start printing money, you're gonna have to start printing a hell of a lot of money to make up for a decade of billions of dollars of losses. I mean, at what point do you just dig yourself in such a big hole that you can't climb out of it, no matter how promising your your future might be? Yeah. Well, so so two things with this. So you had privately mentioned, or like offline had mentioned, that y- you thought it was concerning when the head of finance leaves. Like, I mean, we've had departures from uber before like i think like their head of pr or like left a couple of months ago admits the whole sexual harassment and in potential workforce discrimination suit but yeah their um head of finance is leaving like you'd you'd mentioned that you thought that was pretty concerning yeah someone someone had told me i I think at a previous job or something i I can't can't know don't know who to give credit to for this but someone had told me this years ago and it really stuck with me which was when you see kind of top finance people leaving a company i mean really like obviously like the cfo would be the kind of the big example but certainly a head of finance or a vp of finance or like a director of fpna or, or someone who's leading one of the finance functions within a company when one of those folks starts to leave that's where you really have to to wonder why because i mean th- those are the people who have not only the most insight into current financials, but also the most insight into future financials. And, you know, if if you're someone who's in the numbers and particularly around future numbers and you're optimistic about those numbers, why would you leave? And in this case in particular, this wasn't even one of those, well, you know, he, he wants to spend more time with his family or there's some other personal reason around that, which of course, if that's the case, then that, that's, a, that's a whole different thing. You know, my understanding is he's leaving just to go to a different company. So, um, I, I to me that's uh, when when whoever told me that 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 really stuck with me, and I I I think it's true. Hmm. Okay. And then I think my other thing was that what do you think like dictates like like these unnecessary or like not legally required like financial disclosures that are like semi or actually i mean they're official through like the company like why do they keep happening like is is this to like lower expectations or provide context like for pre-ipo stuff like why like because like for the past three quarters they've been reporting like they're an actual public company kind of yeah i why the hell is this happening i don't know yeah i i don't know um, it's, it it gets into an area that's it's not really in my my wheelhouse. Where I know that Uber for kind of a long time has sort of, and Facebook I think had done this too before they went public, where they kind of pushed the boundaries. Because when you're a private company, there are really strict limits around who can invest in you, how much they can invest, 
it's it's a whole different ball game than being a, a publicly traded company and companies like facebook and now uber have kind of again really pushed those rules to their limits so I, I don't know if something there maybe tripped some type of reporting requirement or what but i was wondering that too why all of a sudden we're we're starting to see some of this stuff because really one of the huge advantages of staying private is that you don't have to publicly talk about your you know financials and every three months have the entire world scrutinize them like you do when you're a public company so yeah i, I don't i don't know yeah, a little strange. Um, and then rounding this out, the only reason I brought up the uh, that that article with the numbers from 2015 around Uber Pool in SF was there was a re- uh, did you did you happen to read the article? Uh, no, it's okay I, if you didn't. I, I I did not. Okay, I'm just gonna read you a short passage because I think I think it's funny and it, it speaks to whole to the whole cactus thing. So this this is from BuzzFeed's reporting. So. Uh, quote, if it's working as designed, pool is efficient. Oh, and this is referring to Uber pool, which is the whole like two to four riders in a single car. Uh, pool is efficient, a way for drivers to spend far less time searching for fares and for Uber to maximize driver's time. But for pool to work, every master, the company's internal code name for the first passenger in a ride, uh, requires second and sometimes third riders called minions. Pool also requires a critical mass of passengers and drivers to be able to match masters and minions headed on similar routes. For each trip in which a master isn't matched with at least one minion, Uber loses money. The company told BuzzFeed News it now refers to masters and minions as primary and secondary passengers. I mean, I mean... It's institutional. Companies, how how does one company institutionalize like this? Com- companies use so, so I I don't. This is a very half-assed defense of Uber, but companies use a lot of dumb, sometimes off-color internal lingo. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why there's a reason why there are internal names for things and then public-facing names for things at companies. <sighs> But I, I, I agree that this is very much in line with everything else we know about Uber. Does does nobody think like just like what would somebody think if this was public? Like you don't have to think of elegant names. Like you don't have to do a whole ton of of, of market research and, and focus group stuff of how would this play with everybody else. Like you don't have like this doesn't be an Apple thing. You don't have to see like what shade of gray is is the best to sell 50 million phones in but you because even in 2015 the company like uber had a reputation and you would kind of think of like oh, i just don't get it i am believe me man i'm <laughs> i'm i'm with you and if if i were running a company i my internal names for people and for ideas and products would basically have to live up to the same scrutiny that a publicly facing name would. And I, I, I think that's, that's good practice, but I don't know. Clearly, clearly Uber thinks otherwise. And, and why are we surprised? All right. That's yeah. Um, moving on before we get, to, we're, we're, cause we'll, we'll get to fun stuff or we're going to get to some predictions and some cool stuff with related to WWDC coming up real quick. But uh, one other blast, transportation related thing is and i and i actually didn't read the story that closely so i hope you actually did 
So Ford uh, fired its CEO this week, and he he got replaced. It was it was previously Mark Fields, and there was a a, a website I forget what the, what it was or where the story came from, but they basically stated, and I'm not sure of the veracity of the reports, that his downfall was basically related to a self driving car partnership deal that fell through the cracks with Google. So did did you read read the story, and and what what is your opinion on it? Yeah, so this is we'll we'll put this in the notes. So this is from Automotive News, uh, but it, it got picked up by by a lot of outlets this week, and you know I think it, it speaks to what we were talking about with with the Uber stuff, where th- this idea of self driving cars not only does it impact Uber and that that kind of on demand car economy that we've all gotten used to. But it really applies to the whole car industry in total, where companies like Ford and GM and any, anybody who makes cars at this point should be thinking about, well, when cars can drive themselves, what's that going to mean for us? And I think companies like Ford have also found themselves kind of looking in the mirror and realizing how far behind they've been on the technology curve. I mean, I mean, you and I, I, I'm sure have complained about this a number of times on the program about how slow technology gets rolled out to cars. And, you know, like for me, it's even simple little things like Ford sync and how slow that's rolled out. Not that I'm mad that my car has the old version of sync. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I think that that's that sort of compounded this sense of urgency to kind of get caught up. And, you know, I think Ford looking to partner with Google speaks directly to that, where they're real, they, they know where the industry is going. They know that it's going to take a huge technology effort to get there. And they know that technology has been one of their weakest points. And so the only the only way to make up for that really is going to be to partner with somebody. And so if they can't partner with somebody, that puts them in a in a bad spot. And I think unfortunately it sounds like Fields uh found that out. A follow-up question. So I mean so yeah, that that all kind of makes sense. And and again, I think actually Ford has been trying to figure out what's next. I mean, that's part of their partnership with um with Chariot, that but one one of your favorite companies. I'm not sure if it still is, based on on some things that have changed. Yeah, but. no, they're they're great. <laughs> no, sir. No, I seriously no, they're they're, <laughs> no, they're I, really I know, good. I'm sure they are. Um, but I just didn't know if it was still a part of your daily routine. Yeah, every, every day, twice a day. <laughs> um, what was the other one called? Oh, was, um, the, the one that failed. Was it um, was it Leap? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, Thank they. You. Well, so so this they is. They were different, though. They were. They were. Yeah. They were weird. Well, they took handicapped buses and then took out all the handicapped features from them, and then made these luxury buses that had uh-huh. like coffee stands and juice stands. And th- this is dissipated now, but there was a period of time where I was taking Chariot, where when I would say that, people would think that I was talking about Leap, and I would always go out of my way to say, <laughs> no, 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 like. Especially at that time, too, Chariot was like, they used these really kind of crappy white vans that had not even like individual seats, but they were just kind of like those kind of like bench type seats. And 
It, it was not. They thought, they thought it was like a van pool to the airport. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. It was, it was that. It might have even been like that same model of car that they used for that. Uh, so it was not at all fancy. And, and it's, it's still not fancy, although it's certainly gotten better. But I always made it made it a point uh, to tell people, no, 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 I'm I'm not I'm not having a latte made on on my ride to work or anything like that. So yeah, so it's not quite Uber Black, but it's also not the Bluth Company stair car. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, I think I got to stop it. I I watched the first three episodes of that because because I was bored on Netflix, and it 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 definitely holds up. It's well, yeah, that that part of the show does. Yeah, we. We've gotten we've gotten into season three over the last couple of days, and mm. uh, just just call it quits. Yeah, it's <sighs> yeah. I had totally forgotten my favorite part of it, which which is the recurring uh, George Senior thing of saying I have the worst fucking attorneys. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I I think of almost every joke on the show that's the most evergreen and and, and consistently hilarious one. There, the yeah, the, the, I I don't remember which specific time that comes up, but there was one of them where I, on this most recent recent we rewatch, I think that was probably one of the jokes I laughed at the hardest. You're right; that's it's really really good. And also, there's some good guest starring ones, so like when when uh, uh, Patrice O'Neill, who is a comedian, who I forget what his name on the show was, where he's like, "Oh, did you burn down the banana stand?" Oh, most definitely. It's just that's <laughs> really good. Um. Yeah, people will find that our previous show description is, is based off of three seasons of that show. That's right. Uh, where was I going with this? We are talking about Ford. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so my follow-up question to round this out before we get to the Apple stuff. So people keep comparing the market capitalization of Tesla against like every, for lack of a better term, we'll say legacy automaker. How do you feel about that comparison based on Tesla being a company that does not ship that many cars? And I guess most of it is based off of optimism of a successful launch of the of the Series Three or the Model Three. Like, how, how do you? Because like, there was another story today about Tesla surpassing the market capitalization of, of BMW and and coming close to like the Daimler Auto Group. Like, do you think that's fair? And how much of that is kind of Uber style frothy expectations about? A future that might not actually happen. Well, I, I've been consistent in saying that I'm a skeptic around the idea that sticking huge series of laptop batteries on the bottom of cars is the long-term future for transportation. So I would consider myself as someone who's who's pretty bearish towards Tesla. What I what I and then kind of I guess before we get into the positive, let's go more negative. <laughs> um, I mean, the other thing that they they do kind of have in common with Uber is, I mean, they've also never been profitable. They've never even been close to being profitable. Granted, they're not losing a billion dollars a quarter like Uber is, but they're also nowhere close to making money either. So that I'm I'm also concerned about again, because I, at some point, like, okay, fine. I, I get that it takes time to build a business and build a user base, but at, at what point do you need to start seeing profit happening? So that so that that's that would be the, the bearish view, but I, I think the the positive view with with Tesla, and I, I don't know if this is what's driving a lot of people's optimism about the company, but if if I were to come up with like a personal reason why I would be bullish around them, is they are clearly, at least publicly, 
as far along with self-driving cars as anybody is. I mean, no, nobody out there is mass producing the, the autopilot stuff like they do and packaging it in a way that basically just it works exactly like you would expect it to. I strongly disagree, like, because they're not, because they won't stand behind it. Like, their whole thing is that, like, you have to pay attention, like, because autopilot in that sense seems like just a, a more advanced version of most um, driver safety features. Like, the person, I forget his name, but the person who used to be in charge, like, there's a really good, and I, and I, I hate to say it, that like, TED Talk, of him explaining what the whole Google X self-driving car project was. And, and the, like, just the, the advent of driver assistance features is, is not really making us better drivers. And the full goal of fully autonomous uh, vehicles is the ultimate end game, and that's where it has to go. But the whole thing with um, Tesla's autopilot stuff is like they're all like even when the, there were those two crashes last year that that got a lot of media attention, like that uh, Musk and, and all of Tesla's like, no, the whole point is that you still have to pay attention to the road and, and all this kind of stuff. And their current technology doesn't really involve the type of technology and like LIDAR and that kind of stuff that's really necessary for full-fledged autonomous driving. So I, I I guess I just don't see that they are that far ahead because the company has stated that their goal is like, or that like they don't see that stuff as necessary yet. Whereas Uber and Google, like the, the Waymo project say that it totally is. So I, I guess I'm, I don't know. I don't see them as a pure autonomous driving play. Well, I mean, they claim that the hardware in every car shipped since October of last year has everything necessary for fully autonomous driving and that it, it, there just needs to be software updates as time goes on. So does the government agree with that? I mean, right. I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, that's but I but I think but what that's that's what I was saying before. Maybe I just didn't phrase it the right way. Autopilot today is not not the end game. It's not like they've already rolled out the solution to consumers. All I'm saying is that they. I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I, you can disagree with this. I'm just saying what the the bullish case would be is they're further ahead at a scale that nobody else really is. I mean, I I think it's cute for Google to kind of talk behind the scenes and critique Tesla and say, well, yeah, you know, we've got all this other technology that we think is better. Okay, great. Show me, you know, go go sell 80,000 cars a quarter like Tesla is and put these into consumers' hands. Like, If you think your tech is so great, let's see it. So until until companies like Google and, you know, the million others now that are working on the self-driving car stuff actually start shipping stuff to consumers you know i i I would give credit to tesla there where at least they're making tangible efforts and tangible progress towards that end goal point taken and and i agree in a lot of ways but also like i don't know like the my counterpoint would be that people being so optimistic about tesla versus ford a company that whose market capitalization they've surpassed being a company that ships like a factor of 500 times the cars. I think like last year they sold like 3 million vehicles versus however many tens of thousands Tesla has shipped. Like I just, I don't know. I, I'm still of the perspective that, and again, this is, this is with net, without a lot of knowledge of like the Gigafactory and some of the other stuff where like, it feels like a legacy automaker can probably make tweaks to bridge that competitive gulf fairly 
quickly. Well, but I'm hedging with that. Yeah, but then, but then do it. I mean, if it if it's so you know if it's so easy to do, like this is actually one of the things that that you know like I get bothered about with some criticism around like Apple is people will say, well, okay, well, yeah, like you know, but other other companies could do this too. It's like okay, well, then do it. You know, put up or shut up. Yeah, but the and and I know this is a horrible analogy, but like this kind of feels like kind of. Like, it seems like you're betting against your own interest of doing something that's truly, like, I don't like, it seems like the whole, like, Apple, the PC guys aren't just going to come in and do this, like, versus, like, is Palm and, and, and whoever, like, whoever was making phones in 2006, like, are you going to to flip the switch and, and go fully in this direction versus, like, getting your lunchy? But, like, I just think in cars, it's different where Tesla's not going to scale up that fast, where, where it's just not that different in phones. I don't know. I mean, th- it's complicated. There, there's no evidence to suggest that anybody's even close to really competing with a lot of what Tesla's doing now. I mean, nobody has the supercharger network like they do. But do they even have that? They've they've already scaled back the benefits. Like Tesla, like or the superchargers aren't free anymore. No, like, well, the, no, they are. They are still now. They they reversed that policy where it's going to continue to be free for. Model S and Model X, buyers. even for new cars. Uh-huh. I think that's. I think that was only retroactive for old cars because everybody got in a, in a little fuss about it. No, my under, my understanding is that they they changed their their policy around that. And that well, here's the thing: like, if if they actually like, if if Tesla starts selling a whole ton of cars, like, it does their infrastructure and the supercharger network hold up? Like, if you're are you going to go on a Memorial Day drive and everybody's going to go to the superchargers and there's going to be nothing there for them, and you're just going to have like 100 people waiting to charge up their cars <laughs> driving down to LA. Like, I think that's like. Well, when I have when I have my Model Three next Memorial Day, I'll I'll let you know. Yeah. Or 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 Memorial Day 2019, maybe. We'll we'll see. Does this country make it that long? Mm, that's. Mm. Hmm. Kofefe. <laughs> I swear to God, he just fell asleep on them. Uh, they couldn't couldn't even fess up to that. Small circle of people, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I think I'm going to skip over this T-Mobile thing because I just uh, that's, yeah, that's fine. So, super briefly, did you see the essential phone thing? I did. Yeah. I don't necessarily get this. Because so Andy Rubin, he's the guy. So he he founded Danger, which uh, created the Sidekick, um, and there was a couple generations of that. And then he started Android, which was not anything like the iPhone, but then quickly pivoted to be like the iPhone when it came out. And then Google used their massiveness and 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 um, smart business practices to kind of figure to transform that into like a dominant thing. But like. So he's on to his new thing, and they've made this high-end phone, which is basically just a nice Android phone. Like, I'm I'm confused as to what this is, and I'm hoping you can clarify this for me. <laughs> You're looking at the wrong guy, because I, I don't get any of this either. Um, I mean, so this, this headline that from wire that i'll put in the notes here which has the infamous anti-iphone phrase in it i mean we've been we've been hearing this 
basically since the first iPhone came out. And, you know, I some companies have certainly made headway against Apple, you know, namely Samsung. But there hasn't been like a single device that people have ever looked at and been like, yeah, no, that is, you know, objectively a, a better sleeker phone. And I, I, I don't know. We'll we'll see we'll see what this phone does i mean again not to keep harping on the same point this episode but i mean let's also see this thing ship because right now all we have is you know a vague later this summer kind of date around this thing so let's 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 see these things ship and see see what they look like well, so at at the code conference and and i really strongly recommend that everybody go watch his interview with walt mossberg and also like a lot of the other code conference videos, but like, it sounds like he said it was shipping in like a month and a half or two months, but like, I just, I don't see what this necessarily does differently or what the compelling reason is. Cause he keeps making the case that this is a like consumer friendly phone that's free of like bloat and all that kind of stuff. And, and it is like a top tier phone, but like, so are most other things. Like if it, the, the Google pixel is, is a, is a nice high-end Android phone. Sure, it doesn't have the edge-to-edge display, but like people like Samsung with the Galaxy S8 and LG with the G6, even though they continue to struggle in the smartphone space, are like doing similar stuff. So like the only real like innovation here is that um, it has like this like modularness to the back of it, where you can like snap on a 3D camera and some other stuff, which which seems neat, but again. I don't see how this is stuff that like Samsung or somebody else can't do quickly. And I don't see where this becomes necessarily a profitable business because like it's not differentiated because it's still running Android and you're not going to make it run something that's not Android because it's impossible to make like this is a two OS horse race for smartphones going forward. Like nobody, no matter how good it is, is going to make a competing smartphone operating system. So just like where where does this fit in? It's like it's sure it's a cool phone for for nerds and certain people because it, like it's it's priced like any other premium Android phone. So I just don't see where Google can't just choose to do the next iteration of the Pixel that co-ops some of these ideas and and like leverages their scale and just does it. Like I, I just I don't know. This whole thing is in- incredibly confusing to me. It doesn't happen a ton on this show, but uh, I'm in complete agreement. I, <laughs> I, I, I would have said everything you just said, so I, I don't don't really have anything else to add. That's troubling because with how often I'm right <laughs> on the show, that means you're admitting to being wrong. Hey, I, I said earlier I'm I'm open to being wrong. Um, no, the only the only comment I'll make on this this thing is, and we'll, we'll put a we'll put a link to this in the notes too about um kind of a rumored iphone 8 design which from nine to five mac which has one of the concepts that i find really troubling with the essential phone which is you know it i'm I'm using big air quotes here which which works great on a podcast you know has an uh, an edge-to-edge display but there's this big like cutout at the top for where the camera is and god i really hope the iphone 8 doesn't do that I don't I don't know how you can build a camera into the screen that seems just kind of like magic but I really hope that Apple finds a way because it's looking at this render in in the link that we'll we'll put in here like 
it's just really off-putting. Well, so so to round this out, so have you looked at the S8? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I, I would Google real quick for a picture of, like, of the S8. I think, like, I, that has to be the way that Google, or sorry, what's the other company? That Apple does this. Mine's going to mellow a minute. Um, where it's, it's, sure, they, they minimize the chin on the phone, and I assume they integrate the... Um, the home button using 3D touch onto the display and they move the they move the fingerprint sensor to the back. But yeah, they're still like rather than doing what the essential phone does of trying to make this weird cutout for the camera, um, that they just do what Samsung did, which is to minimize the 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 top section of the phone that has the earpiece and has the um has the the selfie camera and just puts it in that narrow band at the top. Like I, I like I yeah, I, I don't think the essential phone does it in a way that is elegant or looks that great. Because I really don't see what it does that the S8 or the G6 isn't already doing. Because it's not a truly edge-to-edge display because it still has the chin on it. Which I'm, I understand why they need that because they need some place to put the, the USB-C port and stuff. But like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's and in uh, during the code conference interview, the way that he put it was that sure it looks a little weird, but because it's a nineteen by ten display or something, that when you're watching video, it doesn't interfere, and because of the way Android uses the top of the screen, it won't impede from seeing notifications, which I think is not a good answer for that. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a fan of that design and I I really hope that's not the direction the iPhone is going. Yeah. So so going there, let's 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 talk about just like a final wrap up of what cuz WWDC is 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 coming up right around the corner. And I think we haven't actually probably done and we're not going to do like some type of draft or anything like upgrade did, but just kind of I don't think we really talked about what what do we think is going to happen and kind of what is this. Yeah, so let's do we'll keep we'll do the super super brief version. I would say we will see the Apple Hi-Fi 2.0 or the Siri in a can, which they, I, I love that phrase that they keep using on, or late lady in a can, whatever they say on upgrade. It's really good. It's going to be the Apple Home or the Apple Voice, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we'll see that shipping probably like later this year. I think along with that, there, there will be a, a big push around, hey, Siri is finally getting... Oh God! Siri just went off on all my devices. <laughs> um, I thought it was supposed to only go off on one device at a time. Anyway, um, I think we're going to see a, a, a big push around that, around improvements around around that. I'm just going to refer to Siri as that now. <laughs> um, I think we'll see a really big push around the iPad, potentially along with new hardware. Although I'm a little skeptical about that but i think we'll i think we'll see a a heavy ipad focus in ios 11 i I, and i think when we look back on the keynote and on the week siri and the ipad and ipad related features in ios are going to be the two the two main takeaways and then we'll see we'll see a little bit around the Mac, some minor hardware bumps maybe. There were some rumors today about maybe some new accessories. We'll see a new magic keyboard, et cetera. But I I think the big the big takeaways are gonna be improved Siri with some standalone speaker thing and 
enhanced iPad support in iOS 11 with possibly some new iPad hardware. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, we were talking, we were talking about this offline and, and you, yeah, you had mentioned that you felt that this, that this keynote or, or that this, um, this year's WWDC would be pretty like, it's already spoken for in terms of what's going to be there. I don't know. So I, I would disagree. This is probably just my pe- pessimism of having used the iPad as a productivity device and being a staunch iPad as productivity tool hater. I, I, Honestly, I don't think Apple cares or is going to give the time of day to any meaningful improvements on the iPad. It, and I and I, I know I'm probably going to regret going on the record of saying that, but I just think anything that we get, and is the keynote Monday or Tuesday? Uh, the keynote is Monday. Okay. So I think any improvements that we get for the iPad specifically on Monday will be shallow at best. Like I assume because and I and I think it's probably a done deal that there will be new um iPad hardware, maybe not shipping immediately, but um shown off at the keynote. I think that any improvements to it will be pretty shallow. I don't think there's gonna be like a fundamental rethink of the way that um iOS works for um for productivity use. I think like they might redesign the app switcher and maybe do some stuff that makes it suck less but i don't know i don't i yeah i just don't think it's gonna be that much better um but yeah we probably will see the ipad 10.5 inch there might be like minor updates to the ipad pro 12.9 like that still doesn't have true tone so that might happen um the Apple Home or the Apple Voice device probably gets previewed but will ship uh maybe closer to iPhone launch because I assume whatever that is does have some app store component. Like it's probably going to be closer to like an Alexa skill or like that type of marketplace. So that's probably going to happen. But like, as for everything else, I don't really know the direction that iOS 11 or OS 10 are really going to take other than I don't think there's going to be meaningful updates to the iPad. I mean, uh, selfishly, I do hope there's a lot of attention spent on the Mac and hopefully there's a bit more in terms of Mac hardware uh, addressed, but I don't know. I, I just struggle to see how the keynote is going to shake out or what fills the full two hours. Like I know you said there'd be some like Apple watch updates and some like the perfunctory demos that aren't really that interesting, but like, I don't know. I don't, I don't see, I, I don't have a two hour presentation scripted in my head yet, which in prior years seems like it's, it's been different. Hmm. Okay. No, well, that we can agree to disagree on. Yeah, uh, but on the record, do you think anything happens with Apple TV? Like, is well, actually, let's let's get on. Yeah, on the record, is there a new Apple TV? Is there a new Apple Watch? Either. I have thought for a while now that we'd see a 4K enabled Apple TV, so something that's really similar to the one that we currently have, same form factor, basically same software, but just kind of like we got the minor bump to 1080p um, back in the day with the previous version of the Apple TV, we get something similar with 4K. I, I, you know, I am a long believer and I'll stick with it that Apple just doesn't release new hardware without it leaking first now. And we haven't really heard anything about a 4K enabled Apple TV. So because we haven't heard about it, I, I don't think it's going to happen at WWDC. Um, 
so no, I don't I don't really think we're going to see a lot around Apple TV. Okay, so not even like a Amazon Prime video announcement or or anything software related. Maybe maybe that. But okay. But I've but I've also thought that the Amazon thing would would be tied to a 4K enabled Apple TV because Amazon's kind of one of the biggest providers of streaming 4K content. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, unless they're unless they're going to secretly, you know, come out with a, a 4K enabled Apple TV, I, I don't know if they'll talk about the Amazon stuff yet. But I, I guess if they if they do kind of spring that on us, then then yeah, talking about the Amazon stuff makes sense. Okay. So people can uh, tune into our live show uh, immediately after the keynote on Monday, <laughs> right? And we'll, we will we will talk about this. Did in, you in depth? Did you reserve space in the uh, the podcast studio that Apple's making available? Uh, I I did. I do know the way to San Jose. Nice. Yeah, that's gonna be good. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun week. Uh, I, I'm I'm interested to see how this year is different. Like again, I'm I'm not a WWDC attendee, but I'm. Interested if Apple seems to think that this um, this move to San Jose pays off, or that they get whatever they think they're going to get from it. Well, I mean, one of the things that they publicly said was that, "Hey, this is geographically closer to where we work, so we're going to be able to have more employees there for longer." So I, I think have they said that on the record? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. mm-hmm. I think. Um, Remember Schiller gave interviews to a handful of outlets, including Daring Fireball, and I think that was, that was one of the things that he mentioned with Gruber. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, picks right. of the week? Yep. Okay. So mine is one that you've you've either had this exact pick before or one really similar to it. Um, I'll, I'll send you the, the Amazon link in the, the thing here. But this is the um, Anchor 60-watt, six-port USB wall charger. Um, I've got one here on my desk, and really simple. Does exactly you know what you'd expect it to do, but it's it's just super, super handy. I mean, I'm not not breaking any major ground by saying that you know more and more of our devices are being charged via USB now, but but man, that really, really is true. And so having just, you know, a ton of USB ports accessible at your desk is becoming more and more important for, for recharging your devices. And this this thing, which I, I think I got on sale back when I bought it um, sometime um, last year, um, is just is really, really great. And it's just, it's sleek and just kind of lays right here on my desk and, you know, can have up to six different things charging at once with it, which is which is awesome. Yeah, those those are pretty great, and and even uh, bedside, I would usually say that's worthwhile, so that you can have like a single high powered charger that you can use for your your phone, your watch, and a couple other things. So, um, yeah, it's a good pick. One thing I'll say about a lot of these devices, um, I, you know, Anchor is I think particularly guilty of this. I, I'm pretty sure my battery, the USB battery pack that I have, is is an Anchor battery pack. And it has this just obnoxiously bright blue LED light on it, and this this little um, six port charger that I'm that I'm recommending this week also has a really really obnoxiously bright blue LED light on it. I just I wish there was a way to turn that off or just not have that somehow. 
So that's where, actually, let me hijack your pick of the week. Because, like, my actual, like, the one that I always recommend is this one, which is, I'm I'm sure this isn't a real company. Like, it's probably just a rebranded as something else. But it's called Fotive. It's the same general idea, but it has no LEDs. It looks kind of like it's designed by Apple, like it's just super plain and white. Um, and yeah, this this one's great. Six ports supports, uh, you could like plug in six iPads if you want to. And no annoying LEDs. Yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah. Um, and since I don't actually have a pick of the week, I am going to choose. Let me just log into Amazon. Uh, I never, I never uh, officially told you about my the Apple Watch charger I got. Did I? No. Uh-uh. Okay. Let me. What point is it? Is, is our picks of the week now? Do you just log into your Amazon order history? <laughs> well, I couldn't think of anything, and and I've been so bereft about about the state of our country that I couldn't think of anything <laughs> um, else. So I hope that links you to the right thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've seen this. Yeah, it's it's an Apple Watch charging stand that uh, looks like a Mac uh, original Macintosh, and and it's very nice, and it and it allows the Apple Watch to be used in the the bedside mode. Where it like does this like neon green motion sensing or like vibration sensing on off thing. Like I don't actually use it as my alarm clock, but I I think it looks cool. And uh, for the classic Mac nerd in me, I think it's a nice little little thing to have. Yeah, this is this is very much a product made for you. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean I mean that as I, as I, someone I, who appreciates old Apple hardware, this is right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I love my old Mac Classic. Yeah. Um, the other thing I will say about this is, so I, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't use the, the nightstand mode, like as my every night alarm clock or anything, but when I'm traveling, I do. And Mm -hmm. it's pretty good. Like the motion detection stuff works pretty well. Um, it's obviously a clear, bright display. So it's, when it's on, it's really easy to see the time. It tells you, you know, what time your alarm is set for. It's 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 pretty nice. The thing is, I would assume that the the sound is not nearly loud enough, or maybe I'm just a deep sleeper. It I've I, well, usually when I when I depend on that, I set an alarm both on the watch and my phone. So I guess I've never fully relied on just the watch, but mm-hmm. it, I think it's pretty loud. Okay. And then can I can I make a a, a pick of the week two years in the future? <laughs> sure. I can't wait for the third generation of earpods or I got airpods. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Well, I, I think, I think these first gen ones are pretty great, but, but yeah, no, no, I, I know what you mean. They, they can get better. I'm super envious of people that have them, but I can't bring myself to buy them just cause they look so silly. And I really can't wait until they're just like super like in, inconspicuous or Apple figures out a way to make them look less ridiculous. Because they do seem like the perfect headphones. So yeah, so I look forward to buying those in 2019. Yeah, they're they're really they're good. I can't. I don't think I mentioned this on the show. I think I was talking to someone off the air about this. But one of the things I really like about them is they're the first Bluetooth headphones where I also feel comfortable talking on the phone with them. Every other set of Bluetooth headphones I have, which also have a microphone, are at least kind of noise 
uh, not canceling, but sort of like have a little bit of noise isolation to them. And I, I find that I find it really hard to talk on the phone when um, your headphone is, is partially impeding your hearing. It just, I don't know. I, I just, it just, I find that hard to have a conversation with, but the, the, um, AirPods, you know, the, there's no noise isolation or anything with those. So I find them very natural to talk on the phone with. And that's something that I didn't at all buy them with the intention of, of, of using them for that, but it's, it's become a, a really nice feature for me. And are you able to do that with a single earbud or does it only work well with two? I've, I really only ever do it with two, but, but you can, you can do it with just one. Got it. Well, cool. Thank you, everybody who stuck it through the end and made it through the first 25 minutes of this show. <laughs> and we'll, I think it was uh, worth, I think it was worthwhile. And we'll, uh, we'll see you down in uh, San Jose next week. Sure. Maybe you should do a, 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 a brief like introduction to the show saying you feel free to skip over to minute 27 or something okay yeah we we, we'll we'll edit that in